Have you ever been driving and then realized you were going the wrong direction? What did you do? Did you change your course? Did you make a decision to go in a different direction? How about this scenario? Have you ever been driving and had a flat tire or had something happen that caused you to stop your car suddenly? You didn't choose it, it just happened. Maybe you were in a wreck or just had a malfunction with your vehicle. Either way, what did you do to get back on track? I want to talk about change. Change is rarely easy, but sometimes change is necessary. Sometimes change just happens out of nowhere. I didn't want it and I certainly didn't ask for it. All I know is that something has changed and now I have to decide what to do with that change. These two scenarios are woven together as I walk through life. There have been times I realized I was going the wrong direction in my life and I needed to change the course of my life. Other times, something happened that I had no control over, but it stopped my forward motion and I had to decide what to do with that event or change in my life. That is what this podcast is all about. It's about change. It may be change that is needed or maybe I need to process a hurt or change that has altered the course of my life. I didn't choose it, it just happened. What do I do with that? How do I deal with that? As you listen to this podcast, ask yourself this question, am I going the wrong direction? Do I need change in my life? Secondly, how do I deal with the hurt and pain in which I have no control over? I hope you enjoy the life change stories in this podcast. Maybe they will invoke positive change in your life. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Today is the first episode in this podcast, and I'm going to share my own personal story of change. Just a small disclaimer, we will not be having any foul language in this podcast, but some of the topics will be mature and may not be appropriate for young listeners. And with that, let's get into my story. So several years ago, my wife and I were sitting downstairs in my den my basement, and we were watching TV, and the lights were shining off of the TV, creating a glow in the darkness, when we noticed something slithering across the floor to our TV through the carpet. My wife immediately stood up on the couch and started screaming, which, by the way, always helps the situation, and I'm being sarcastic. I turned on the light and discovered that a baby snake had got into the house somehow and was exploring its new territory. I went into the next room to get something to grab the snake with when I noticed two other baby snakes slithering through the carpet. I tried to remain calm, and my wife continued to help me from the couch. I got a paper sack with the barbecue tongs and a barbecued fork and put the three snakes into a paper bag where I attempted to assassinate them. Then I noticed a fourth baby snake slithering toward the wall, but before I could grab it, the snake went underneath the floor baseboard. It was a little hard to sleep that night, not knowing where the fourth snake was, and the whole ordeal was very discontenting. We discovered that our double doors in the basement had a broken seal and thus a crevice for the snakes to enter the house. We had the door sealed and found the fourth snake and have lived happily ever after ever since. 
John 10.10 in the Bible says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have learned that people are much like houses that have broken seals and crevices for the enemy to enter. Sometimes the snake enters early in life through hurts and bad habits, and sometimes it's later, but no one gets through life without hurts, habits, or hang-ups. No one. I had an incredible childhood. I had loving parents who taught me about Jesus when I was very young, and at age five, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There was laughter, love, and care all around me, but just as the snake approached Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, I was approached through my character defect of lust when I was only eight years old. I started with looking at National Geographic magazines. There were pictures of naked people from other cultures, and the spark of lust was kindled in my mind. Later, I discovered the Sears catalog and my mom's women's magazines laying around the house that wouldn't even be considered pornography, but they continued to throw fuel on the ever-growing lust in my mind. When I was in ninth grade, I worked for my dad, who was a property manager, and I had a master key for a lot of rental properties. There, I discovered real pornography and viewed my first rated X video. The hole for the snake got bigger and bigger. My mom started working for a cable company, and we got free cable, which included premium channels like HBO and Cinemax. Many nights, I would sneak into the den and feed my lust. I always felt guilty and shameful, but after a short time, that would go away, and I would return again and again. I have no excuses for my behavior. There was no abuse in my life, and I had a constant exposure of Jesus Christ through church and godly people. That exposure kept me away from substance abuse of any kind growing up, and for that, I'm forever grateful. Directly after college, I secured a job with the same college that I attended and proposed to my high school sweetheart. There were many fights that first year, but I just knew that love would conquer all. That statement is always true with God, but with humans, love can be destroyed and even turned into hate. She left me over the weekend several times, but always came back. One day at work, I got a phone call from the pastor of the church where we attended. He asked me if I would join him on staff at the church. It was like one of those movies where the camera starts off far away and then zooms in on the character's face, indicating that some kind of milestone or aha moment in the character's life was happening. I felt God's call to be in ministry like a siren going off in my head. I went home that night, and to my surprise, my wife agreed with God's calling in my life, confirming my decision to accept the ministry job. It was a perfect fit, and I finally felt like I was fulfilling my purpose in life. My job was going to impact people for eternity. I saw God do some incredible things. I shared Jesus everywhere that I went. It was an incredible time of ministry, and I will never forget it. But things at home were not so good. My wife was becoming increasingly unhappy, and even with counseling, we struggled. And my character defect of lust, well, the enemy still found a hole to enter through from time to time. 
My wife and I continued to struggle, and my pastor recommended that I go to seminary and work on my marriage. This was probably some of the worst advice anyone has ever given me. If you've ever done graduate work before, you know that there is little time to work on a marriage. I remember sitting in orientation class at seminary with my wife and the speaker telling us the high percentage of seminary students who would go through divorce while trying to make it through seminary. We ended up contributing to that statistic. My wife was a nurse, and she quickly got a job at a hospital. I took on a full load at the seminary, hoping to get through as quickly as possible. Being at seminary was like being at church revival every day. I loved it. I was like a sponge soaking up God's Word and absorbing all I could about our Christian doctrine, heritage, and faith. However, at home, my marriage was coming apart at the seams, and the enemy, the snake, started coming in my life even more. Now the lust and porn were becoming a medication and not just a character defect. It helped me escape the pain of the hurtful words being exchanged. One day, my wife told me that she thought that she had the answer to our marriage problems. She said she needed a child to care for and that that would help bring us closer together. It didn't. She became pregnant and not long into the pregnancy, she informed me that after having the baby that she was going to move back to Arkansas, which is where we were from, with or without me. We didn't talk much when I was... And when I refused to let her mother move into the house with us, she moved into a hotel waiting for the birth of our child. I remember getting the call from her telling me that she was in labor and that she wanted me to be at the birth. I was shocked that she would want me at the birth, but I wanted to attend the birth of my firstborn child, and so I went to the hospital. I remember being in the birthing room and helping with the delivery of my firstborn. The doctor and nurses attending my wife uh, had no idea that anything was wrong between us. I remember the first moment that my sweet baby girl entered this world. I remember talking to her and and talking to her while she was on the warming table and immediately falling in love with this beautiful child. The next day was Saturday. And as my wife recovered, we talked about what to name our child. My wife suggested naming her Erica after me. This completely floored me considering that she was planning on leaving the very next day. I agreed to the name and thought maybe we have a chance. Maybe she has changed her mind and maybe we will be a family. Maybe there's hope. The next day, I came to the hospital, and to my dismay, she was ready to leave. Her sister was there to take her back to Arkansas, and she let me hold Erica in my arms one last time while waiting for the car to drive up. I kissed Erica on the face and told her that I loved her. I went back to my house, and I laid on my bed, and I wept. I cried harder than I have ever cried before. It was Sunday. It was Father's Day, and I was all alone. For six months, I begged her to return, and finally she did. But it wasn't very long before unhappiness set in, and I started to see the writing on the wall. 
the enemy was still coming in through my character defect. And on September 12th, 1994, three days after my fifth wedding anniversary, my wife discovered my addiction. She exploded with anger. I went to the seminary and withdrew from school. When I returned home, my wife let me know that she would be leaving and that she wanted me out. The hurt was deep, and the enemy wasted no time in attacking. With my ministry career doomed, I felt aimless and ashamed. I embraced the medication of lust and porn, and I binged. However, there was no lasting relief from the pain. The guilt and the shame were so heavy that I thought I might collapse under its weight. I just wanted to get through this pain. When I felt that there was absolutely no way things were going to work out, I did the one thing that I said I would never, ever do. I called a lawyer and I asked him to file for divorce. I wanted out of the pain and I wanted to get out of that situation so bad because I thought there was absolutely no hope. But I have learned that with God, there is always hope and I should have waited. It took nine months for the divorce to go through, and during that time, I had another major hurt hit my family. My 19-year-old brother took his own life. His name is Noah, and he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. Soon after Noah's death, my divorce went through, and then my grandmother passed away. 1994 through 1996 were dark years, and Satan continued to come in through the cracks and crevices of my life. I was living in Texas and my daughter was living in Arkansas. I was only seeing my daughter once a month and it was killing me. I remember making the drive back and forth to Arkansas during those two years and crying for hours when I had to leave my baby girl. The memory of taking her to the door and having her hang on to my neck or running and hiding in the bushes so that I wouldn't leave was like cancer to my soul. It was like tearing the stitches out of a wound every time I made the trip. My ex-wife called me one day and asked if I would consider moving back to Arkansas to be closer to Erica. I decided that my call to be a father was greater than anything else I could do, and so in the summer of 1996, I moved back to Arkansas where I went to work for my father in real estate. While I was in Texas, I met my current wife, Melanie, and on March 22, 1997, we got married. I married the most beautiful woman in the world, both inside and out. I had the longest stretch of sobriety from pornography that first year in my marriage. I thought the snake had gone, but every other week when I got to see my daughter and then had to take her back, I felt the sting of my divorce and eventually went back to medicating with pornography. It wasn't as often as before, and I could white-knuckle it for months, but the hurt of my divorce and not being in ministry proved to be a hole that I could not seal. Every time I went to church, it was a reminder that I was not good enough to be in ministry. I led community groups, and I went to church regularly. There were moments when I felt God's grace and love, but then the enemy was right there to steal, kill, and destroy from the inside out. When I prayed, it felt like the prayers were bouncing right back to me. 
My current wife, Melanie, prayed for me for 13 years, praying that God would break through to me and heal me, praying that I would lead out spiritually and regain the purpose and passion I once had. I was honest with her about my relapses, and I know I have hurt her many times with my addiction and hurtful words. We had many conversations about why I couldn't engage with God and why I continued to struggle with pornography. I continued this same cycle of trying to fix myself, failing, having guilt and shame, repenting, and doing it all over again. I believe that's called insanity. I made deal after deal with God, always going back on my word to get real help. And then I had another one of those movie moments when time stood still and God intervened radically in my life. On February 24th of 2010, I was sitting in my basement watching TV and I got a text from my ex-wife that said that my daughter was missing and hadn't come home from school. My heart stopped and I quickly texted Erica. She texted back and said, that she had had a fight with her mom and was staying with a friend. I told her that I was coming to get her. There were multiple cracks in her life where Satan had slithered in, and now she was at the bottom of her own barrel. My heart ached for her, and I started to pray, God, help her. Help me. Help her. Intervene. Do something. Then, God changed everything. I was reminded of this program that I had heard about called Celebrate Recovery. It took months for God's seed of healing to take hold, but it did, and Erica started to change. I saw that change, and I wanted that change. If God could change her, maybe he could change me too. I tried going to the adult version of Celebrate Recovery, but it scared me to death. However, on September 10th, 2010, I picked up my first blue surrender chip. I don't remember what message was taught, but the worship leader was singing, Jesus paid it all. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. I went to an open share group, and then I joined a step study group where I did an intense study on the 12 steps of recovery. My life has never been the same. I had never been in a group like this before. These men were transparent. They also had hurts, habits, and hangups. They were broken just like me, and we walked this recovery journey together all the way to freedom. I am now 12 and a half years sober. Praise God. On September 14th of 2018, I picked up a blue surrender chip for overeating. I was 230 pounds and realized that I had food issues. I now weigh 190 pounds, and I am four and a half years sober from overeating. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you shall live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. I don't ever want to go back to where I was before, and I don't ever want to forget where I have come from 
in this incredible process of recovery. I want to help others find freedom, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you've got that enemy, the devil, that snake, slithering in through the cracks and crevices of your life, I want you to know that change is possible, and God never wastes a hurt. If you are listening to this podcast, maybe you realize that your life is going in the wrong direction. Maybe something has happened that has stopped your forward progress. All you know is, is that you want positive change in your life. Here's the thing. If you want something that you've never had, you've got to do something that you've never done. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that my story has inspired you to seek Jesus Christ for a positive change in your life. Come back next time for another life change story. May God bless you as you travel through this life.